you know, it's easy to overeat, overconsume energy if you hack your diet to, to minimize satiety by avoiding protein. And I think there's also a, a nutrient leverage hypothesis sort of happening with nutrients like sodium and potassium and other nutrients that we crave and keep eating until we get enough of them. So they optimize the diet and maximize the nutrient density. They're just going, you know, I don't need as many calories as I used to when I, when I maximize nutrient density and- uh, Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamlands, and our guest today is Marty Kendall from Australia. Marty has a blog, optimizingnutrition.com, that talks about different nutritional strategies that focus on satiety, nutrient density, adherence, and general health. Marty, welcome to the show. Hey, Sim, great to be back again. Yeah, great to be chatting to you in Estonia from Brisbane. <laughs> yeah, like you were on the podcast about like 10 months ago or something. And uh, yeah. we, talk, we talked about specifically yeah, about cool. yeah, ketones and uh, other, other stuff. So uh, what have you been doing you know, since that time? Mm. What, what, what have you been up to? Oh, yeah, wow. Um, just living life and uh, continuing to blog and work and be a dad and... Uh, yeah, enjoying your, uh, your your book, your draft book recently that you sent me, and I'm really fascinated by that. And I suppose thoughts into practice and uh, like lifting and trying to eat well to actually um, you know be the change in the world that you want to see. And uh, yeah, so I uh, had a little had a little. Uh, uh, I went hard uh, yesterday and ended up. Uh, dislocating my shoulder in the gym which is a bit of fun first time i've done anything like that but uh yeah gen generally not that much excitement <laughs> all right <laughs> well that's 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 unfortunate yeah but uh it's it's good to see that uh, you know things are still going uh, in the right direction with you and as well because you have like a growing blog and you keep putting out yeah. new yeah. articles and new blog posts and such which are really i, I really enjoy them and they're really uh, packed with information and Thank like you. really uh, in kind of critical information as well of not kind of giving any prejudgments about any of these uh, topics, whether that be in the world of low carb or mm. uh, insulin or something and calories and such. And they're, they're really like in depth. So uh, what has been maybe like your last, yeah, what has been your like last mm. blog post about? Yeah, I've, I've got a whole pile of blog posts coming up in the next few months. But the big one that I'm really excited about that uh, a couple of months ago, I put out um, an article on satiety, which mm. is looking at, you know, that constant question of, you know, we know that we shouldn't eat too much, but we always tend to eat more than we hoped. And our, our that, that primal, that reptilian instinct always makes us eat just that little bit more than we wanted to, especially when we eat those yummy carbs and fats together. So I suppose that was the big revelation for me out of that data analysis was to find that it's not the high carb foods necessarily, but it's the fat plus carb foods together that, that, that are the, like the comfort foods, the junk foods, the, mm. the hyper palatable foods that tend to make us eat more. Yeah. yeah it is like uh, the goal of any diet is to... Uh, basically op optimize your satiety and to manage mm. hunger to not get hungry or to not feel deprived from eating so to say and that's going to help you to kind of maintain sustainable weight loss and 
in the perspective of longevity that's also good because like mild mm-hmm. calo- mild caloric restriction is good for the mm-hmm. longevity but if you don't totally. feel if you don't feel satiated from what you eat then uh, you're not going to be able to maintain it either so yeah it's cr- yeah, quite totally. to have like uh, satiety so how do you kind of define satiety what it is in a sense yeah it's the idea of um feeling full feeling like you've had enough food and not needing to eat again in a hurry and i suppose overall in the context of the analysis that we looked at from the my fitness pal data mm-hmm. is just an overall ability to not eat as much um and, and we were able to take previous data there was previous data from the university of sydney where they did the satiety index and looked at the different factors and uh, they only had 38 data points. Um, they, they had some interesting observations, but with only 38 data points, they weren't able to really draw a lot of conclusive, hard conclusions. And, and you know, it was 22 years ago and it's funny that it hasn't been redone since then in the laboratory setting. So we um, downloaded half a million days of my fitness pal data and crunched it to fi- find out which... Uh, factors in the food tend to enable us to eat less naturally. So, yeah, that was really, really fascinating and basically confirmed and refined the previous satiety index findings. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I, re- I remember that uh, past study or this old study where they took some people and they fed them different foods, and they, but they only fed them like one specific type of food. They didn't have like yeah. a kind of balanced meal, so to say, of all the macronutrients. No. They only ate like one specific uh, food ingredient, whether that be like just steak, just vegetables, or just potatoes, or just French fries, or just chocolate. And they saw that yeah. uh, which ones kind of caused most the satiety after after yeah. having fed those uh, ingredients. And I believe like they they gave the option for first eating the food, then waiting a few hours, then and then mm. uh, opening up the buffet, so to say. And they yeah. saw that which type of uh, food promoted the most satiety or uh, which which type of food um, enabled the person to eat less at the buffet and i yes. I, I, I believe like the, they found that the potatoes were like regular yeah. white potato was the most satiating food in the, in that scenario yeah yeah it was back in 1995 at the university of sydney uh, if you want to look it up it's a, com- a satiety index of common foods by halt et al at the university of sydney and they fed 1000 kilojoules of 38 different foods mm. And they measured this perceived satiety rating every 15 minutes over two hours. And then after three hours, they said, here's an unlimited buffet. Go for your life. How much can you eat? And they found that, you know, it's, it was the plain potato that was literally off the chart that yeah. if they'd eaten a thousand kilojoules of plain potato, they just didn't feel hungry. And it's like, is it, was it the resistant starch or the fact that, you know, that that's so fibrous and low energy density that yeah. fills them up and, um, yeah, I suppose the, the, the trend overall from that was that we, we saw that higher protein foods tend to fill people up mm. and they can't eat as much later on. Um, low energy density foods, so foods that don't contain as, as much energy per weight of food, so foods that contain more water and fibre, and also higher fibre foods tend to make people feel fuller. But fat and carbs were sort of a bit of a U-shaped curve where if you combine fat and carbs, it seemed that you could eat more of those donuts and cake and Mm -hmm. cookies and those sort of comfort foods that we always know. So it's not necessarily bad carbs per se or low fat foods. It's the, uh, it's those comfort foods that we always gravitate to that seem to be 
that tend to be very rare in nature other than maybe coming up to winter when the body says, hey, you've got to fill up, you've got to prepare for winter mm. and make sure you've got enough fat to survive the coming crisis of, of a lack of food. Yeah, yeah, like uh, I would I would imagine that just eating a regular white potato simply makes you kind of bored or sick of it, so to say. <laughs> it's, it's, it is difficult to overeat it because it's not like really tasty, so to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but at the same time, it, it seems to be those, uh, you know, really low-fat foods are really, uh, you know, it's hard to get a lot of energy and it seems that mm. if you fill, fill your glucose stores and your fat stores at the same time, you can get a lot more energy in your fuel tanks. Basically, you're hacking a fuel tank with that food combination. Um, if you're just eating carbohydrate by itself, it seems you've got a limited store and you can fill up your carbohydrate store and your body goes, no, no, I can't take any more carbohydrate i have to convert it to fat through de novo lipogenesis mm. or if you eat a lot of fat that tends to come with protein it's hard to overeat whole foods that are higher fat yeah. but when you strip out the protein and just drink refined fat i don't think fats to satiety is a real thing you know it, it doesn't seem to bear out in the data yeah. that Fat to satiety when it's refined fat um, doesn't seem to actually be satiating. It's actually the protein that there's a limited amount of protein that you can store in your body once you've done your muscle protein synthesis, once you've repaired your muscles. There's only a, about 500 calories of labile protein in your bloodstream. So when that fills up, your body just says, hey, I'm full, I can't take any more. And it's really hard work for me to convert these proteins to glucose i can do it if i have to but can you give me the fat and carbs because that's really easy i can i can use that and store that easily for energy but i can't um, take this protein and convert it to energy so can you just stop eating if that's all you got if you've got the lean protein and nothing else just you know i'd rather not eat anymore hmm. right right and also like uh you will i would imagine that uh you will kind of maintain this uh or you're going to cover all the kind of the mo most of the essential nutrients that you will need for survival so to say and your body will prioritize mm. that in a sense that if you eat the, the protein yeah. then uh, you know you need protein for survival more so than carbs and fats because you can't store yeah. them for long like you can't run on zero protein for too long because you're going to yeah. go like uh, into starvation mode whereas you have like a ton of yeah ton of calories in your body fat already and you don't yep. need carbs for survival either yeah totally the body sends out an emergency signal when you're not getting enough protein to eat more with the mm. protein leverage hypothesis type approach um, that you're aware of but i think there's also a, a nutrient leverage hypothesis sort of happening with mm. nutrients like sodium and potassium and other nutrients that we crave and we keep eating until we get enough of them so i think if we focus on overall nutrient density and getting enough nutrients overall we don't really have to worry too much about micromanaging our macronutrients so but most people just think of macronutrients so it's easy to talk about macronutrients and fiber and energy density if you want to talk about satiety but i think when you plot the most nutrient dense foods and the most satiating foods there's a there's a really nice relationship mm. so if you focus on whole nutrient dense seasonal foods it's going to be hard to overeat yeah, like uh, it is true that uh, let's say if 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 a particular meal has the same macronutrients but different micronutrients or nutrients in general, 
then uh, it's going to cause like a different satiety response as well. Like mm. Uh, you, you can eat, let's say, just chicken breast, uh, like pure chicken breast uh, with uh, some maybe like uh, extra fats or, or whatever, but uh, it may not have like the same uh, physiological effect on your satiety mm. and hunger if you were to be eating like a more more uh, whole let's let's say more quality uh, protein whether that be like uh, some yeah. beef or some organ meats or such the calories yeah. can be can be the same but uh, you feel slightly different from that yeah whole foods nutrient dense foods are always just a little bit more satiating a little bit more a little bit better and they tend to be just the way they're found in nature and right. satisfying is that they're hard to over hard to overeat yeah, like uh, one of the best best examples is like peanut butter, so to say. But <laughs> it's uh, well, I I do think that it, it is like slightly easier to overeat on nuts than uh, other foods. But at the same time, if you eat, let's say, some sort of a nut butter, like peanut butter or such, then you're gonna uh, get less satiety from that if you were to be eating mm. like regular nuts. So yeah, to totally. Yeah, yeah, and th those nuts are generally. You know, nature's get ready for winter food, the yeah. autumnal food with the fat and carbs together that are fairly rare in nature. Like you get, you get fatty animals in winter when there's not a lot of carbs around and you get fruit in summer and sort of the grain harvest in autumn and summer and you never get carbs and fat together at the same time. It's mm. either one mm. seasonal extreme or the other. But then um, you get them only... You get them only at like a very short time period, like, yeah. a short, short, yeah. like a few weeks at autumn, and that's the, supposed to be the period where you get fat, so to say, like all the animals totally. graze totally. and fruit, and uh, they eat the nuts and everything else as well, like fish and or, or everything. Yeah, or, or you get the, um, the, the mother's milk, which is that magic combination of fat and carbs together that helps babies grow. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but these days we, we see booming amounts of uh, refined starch and refined vegetable oil stuck together in basically everything we see in our shops that's just cheap, hyper-palatable, you flavour it and it's uh, you know, shelf-stable and all the good things for the manufacturers but none of the good things for us. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you seen any, or what, what kind of uh, data did you get uh, on in terms of like uh, low carb versus high carb diets uh, for satiety? Have you seen anything yeah, like that? Yeah, that, 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 was, that was fascinating because when we looked at the satiety, we found that when you push really low and carbs really high, you get, you know, basically vegetables, you get the potatoes, you get the tomatoes, you get the onions, you get the green. Um, non-starchy vegetables, which are really hard to overeat. If you go on a plant-based diet um, that has no um, no added fat, it'll be hard to overeat those foods. I'm not saying it's the most beneficial for nutrient density or, or lean muscle mass, but those if you can stick to those really high extreme plant-only foods, it'll be it'll be quite satiating, hard to overeat, and you'll lose body fat. Um, but I think we tend to gravitate back to that middle ground where the, the vegans tend to eat a whole lot of processed um, legumes and soy and soy oil and, and you, know, you look at the, the amount of soy oil and canola oil, it's just such a massive proportion of our current calorie intake. Um, but then on the other end, if you drop carbs below, say, 30%, you also get a satiating effect. So I think I think the real magic of a ketogenic or low-carb diet is that once you get out of that 
fat plus carb gray zone, which is about, say, 30 to 50% carbohydrate, you tend to get a satiety effect. But once you go really, really low carb, I think a lot of people end up getting um, a lot of added refined fat um, rather than a lot of lean protein. They end up with refined fat and that satiety effect seems to drop off and you get a worsening satiety. So it seems to be low carb rather than therapeutic ketogenic mm. added fat um, is, is optimal in that zone. So one, if, if you're looking for um, satiety and to lose weight effortlessly without trying to track all your, your calories and manage, micromanage your intake, I think dropping to less than 30% carbohydrates and then starting to wind back your added fat um, will help. And then you'll end up with a nutrient-dense, fairly high-protein type diet. Mm. Which is which is very characteristic of what happens um, in in spring when you know you don't have a lot of a lot of carbohydrates around. You've just got lean animals that have survived winter. They've been ketogenic, used up all their body fat, and then they're quite lean in in that springtime. Mm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> of uh, of yeah, not not having a bunch of fat. Uh, or like not having like unnecessary excess fat, mm. uh, but still keeping it uh, lower in the carbs that can mm. kind of mimic, mimic this uh, sort of effect of uh, starting to burn your own body fat, so to say. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so that that springtime is really a protein spring fast diet. diet. <laughs> But but the protein sparing modified fast itself isn't gonna be that satiating. Almost, I would imagine that if you're eating only pure protein with nothing else, then your body is still gonna be craving for yeah. some of the nutrients. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's what they found when they in in the past when they went with the protein sparing modified fast in a really hardcore way with processed foods. It was quite dangerous because you lacked a lot of essential nutrients, with especially omega three and and whatever so mm. you, you can you really need to need to focus on a nutrient dense protein spring modified fast right yeah, yeah that's that is true uh, but uh, how does maybe you mentioned that the high carb diet is also very satiating and such and i do agree that you know you you will definitely maintain or like because of the amount of volume in your diet you will be easier to stick to like a caloric deficit because you, it's very difficult to mm. overeat, overeat on a bunch of vegetables and the plants and such uh, yeah, but uh, how is. does yeah. how does maybe insulin uh, affect satiety and uh, feeling of hunger? Um, yeah, insulin's quite interesting. I think like I think if you are injecting like my my wife is type one diabetic, and this has been something that I've struggled to get my head around quite a lot. If you go along and inject excess insulin into her, her blood sugar will will drop. She'll feel extra hungry and and want to eat. But in a person who's got a functioning pancreas like you and me, um, our body doesn't raise insulin more than it needs to to hold back the flood of body fat stores on our body. Mm. So in, in a way, um, like the insulin, you do get an insulin response to food, but you also need to consider the insulin response that is triggered by the amount of body fat you've got. So if you've got a lot of body fat, your body has to work overtime to, to ramp up insulin to hold back the flood gates of energy in your liver uh, to stop it leaching into your blood so in diabetics we see high blood sugars and high um, blood fats triglycerides and the like because the liver isn't able to hold back the floodgate of pressure from our body fat going into our bloodstream so we've really got uh, uh, 
we have to ramp up insulin more and more to try and hold that back. So if we're able to find a way that is satiating to eat and, and naturally drop the amount of energy that we're eating, we can, our body will then reduce insulin, reduce the endogenous insulin that we're producing from our own pancreas to um, allow the, 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 the body fat to be released into the bloodstream to be used for fuel. So as long as we're eating excess calories, which seems to happen when we've got a, a low satiety diet, our um, body's going to be ramping up insulin more and more to hold back those, that energy and storage. So mm. that's, a, that's a fundamental concept that I've struggled to get my head around with. And I, I, like there's, a, there's a thing with uh, type 1 diabetics where they intentionally underdose insulin and they call them diabolemics to, mm. to let their body fat leach into their bloodstream and they get really high blood sugars they get really high ketones and really high triglycerides and it's really quite dangerous but they can lose body fat but i suppose i realized that that's what i was trying to do by trying to eat a very low insulinogenic diet um but the problem is my body still produces the insulin i can't actually turn off the insulin supply of my body i'm not a I'm not a type 1 diabetic. So as long as I'm eating more energy than I need, my insulin is going to be elevated. Now, you just need to find a way to hack your satiety to drop the amount of energy you're eating. And, and that's where, you know, using the, the MyFitnessPal data of half a million data points, we went, okay, let's try and find a relationship between the parameters that are quantifiable in our food to actually optimize the uh, the, our satiety to actually identify the foods that are most satiating that will actually drop insulin in the long term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, it is yeah, quite interesting of uh, how the uh, different also different types of diets affect insulin and what kind of a mm-hmm. metabolic uh, response is going to occur mm-hmm. after that. Mm, but uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, so so in some diets you get a short term re- insulin response, like a high carb diet. Mm maybe a plant-based diet, lots of fruit, you'll get a, a short-term insulin response. But in the long term, if you just can't get too much energy in, you'll get a lower overall basal insulin response in your body. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting to think of both the, the short-term bolus insulin response to the food we eat, but also the long-term um, basal insulin requirement, which is related to the amount of energy we're actually eating and the amount of fat we're storing. So we see a lot of... Um, you know, people who have been practicing a ketogenic diet uh, that are more on that therapeutic ketogenic end, hoping for weight loss by eating low protein and high fat that doesn't lead to satiety, but they still have very high body fat and insulin, basal insulin levels. So, you know, that, that, that's sort of a you know, case in point in a way that, uh, you know, it's easy to overeat, overconsume energy if you you know, hack, hack your diet to, mm-hmm. to minimize satiety by avoiding protein and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, and I, I would also imagine that, uh, for instance, in that shorter incident spike on a really high-carb intake, uh, then the post, post scenario of causing this hyperglycemic response can also kind of affect the satiety, so to say. If you eat a bunch of uh, carbohydrates, you're going to spike your insulin and you're going to drop low mm into a lower blood sugar state after that mm. and that can cause well either some additional sugar cravings or maybe not feel that satisfied because of that yeah yeah definitely if, if it's really important i think you know living in this 
diabetes space, it's really important to flatline your blood sugars, so to stabilize your blood sugars. So um, a lot of the time that just relates to avoiding those fat plus carb processed foods to bring yeah. your blood sugars to a stable level. So most people think, oh, I'm, you know, the donuts are carby foods, the, you know, the mm. cookies and crackers are carby foods, but they're not carby. They're the carb plus fat. They're, they mm. tend to be a fairly equal mix of carbs and fats together that are the real danger zone foods that we need to avoid that we tend to over over consume and that raises both our short-term and long-term insulin responses the basal and bolus response yeah like uh like you said that so so we are like if you if you were to be eating uh, carbs slightly above this threshold like you said above the 30 percent mark of having maybe like 40 to 50 percent carbs uh, with mm. with some extra fats and such, then that would be also like this bad scenario of uh, having mm. uh, longer insulin or or having insulin elevated for longer. So that isn't like ideal either. Then, yeah, totally, totally. Even, even if it's coming from like whole foods, let's say like uh, yeah. uh, a ba- a baked potato with butter, that's that would be like exactly. a bad bad example. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's effectively the same satiety effect as a, as a cheesecake and a croissant. <laughs> To, to take your baked potato, which is really high, highly satiating and mixed with butter and salt and it's really yummy, you can keep eating it and mm. it fills the fat and glucose stores at the same time without hitting that full signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's also funny that uh, most of the diseases or metabolic disorders are kind of caused also by the combination of fats and carbs, not necessarily yeah. a specific food group, so to say. And uh, yeah, like all of the worst things happen if you put them together and you cause this metabolic uh, conflict, so to say, that your body yeah, doesn't it, know what to do with it or, or is it going to store everything or is it going to try to burn it off? Yeah, if you look at all those blue zones, they're all people who are eating natural foods and moving and seeing the sun and they're not eating any processed carbohydrate fat mixtures together. Mm. And as soon as they do, you know, you can take that, you know, take a plant-based vegetarian vegan formula and throw a whole lot of soy oil and soy flour into it and processed you know vegetarian products and people are as metabolically stuffed as ever yeah yeah yeah. it is true it is true that uh, you know the label itself isn't going to tell you a whole lot unless you know like what's the actual metabolic response so to say or how it is going to affect your body Mm, mm. Yeah, I find it amazing that you've got these people who are carnivores and the plant-based and they're both celebrating their amazing benefits of this amazing diet that they've, they've enjoyed success from and they're, and they're the antithesis of each other and it can't be just purely the, I, 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 I don't eat plants or I don't eat animals, they, they, they believe the opposite. It, it seems to be, you know, I cut out mm. processed grains and, and seed oils that, tend to be dominating our current food system because it's so cheap yeah yeah it is true that uh both work both diets can work if you do them properly so to say and uh the reason or they have like similar principles uh, mm. which kind of correspond with this idea of uh, ma- maximizing uh, satiety maximizing nutrient density as well as like avoiding uh, these empty calories that uh, don't yeah. kind of give you any benefits yeah, so but more and more, we, we, tend, we tend to gravitate back towards yeah. that central zone of the fat plus carbs. If we're given the opportunity, we just go, oh, yeah, one cookie won't matter or you know, one donut won't matter. And then all of a sudden, we're searching for more food because we're still hungry. And it's like that hyperphagic response has been triggered with it. There's a study with rats where they fed them high carb, low carb or, or fat plus carbs together. And it was the the fat plus carbs with low protein group that just 
ate a whole lot more and put on, put on a whole lot more body fat because they were basically telling the body, hey, we're preparing for winter. We need to prepare for a higher set point in our body fat level and keep on eating until we meet that. So you're basically sending your body a signal that winter is coming with that uh, autumnal combination. Winter is coming for him. That's all that, like, in my opinion, that's also one of the reasons why pe mo some people may not feel that satiated by eating like a really strict uh, ketogenic diet either because it's uh, really, low in really low in carbs. You don't get that volume from plant matter mm. or vegetables. Mm. And at the same time, the protein mm. is also somewhat limited and uh, mm. you, you may end up eating like empty calories from just extra fats and extra oils mm. uh, with, yep. with, with, without like a high satiety index. Totally. Definitely agree. How do, so how would you kind of reconcile that, so to say, of still maintaining a somewhat mild ketogenic state uh, while still able to kind of eat uh, some more food or uh, promote satiety? Yeah, I think you have to decide whether you want a, a therapeutic ketogenic diet for, you know, are you managing epilepsy or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or those sort of conditions that require higher ketone levels. And at that point, you probably want to add some extra refined fats to your diet so you get um, exogenous ketosis, which is fat from outside the body. But if you find a, a, a satiety benefit where you drop carbs to say less than 30%, but don't cut out all your vegetables and your starchy, uh, your, sorry, your fibrous non starchy vegetables, you tend to get a, a bulky satiating diet that's got plenty of protein. You're not avoiding protein. Protein is really hard to eat. It's hard to have too much protein. And, and once you get that satiety, you get a endogenous ketosis, which means you're, you're burning your own body fat, which is what most people, I think, who mm -hmm. are chasing ketosis are looking for. They want to burn their own body fat. They don't want to be just having high ketones in their blood because they, they're adding a whole lot of exogenous ketones or MCT oil or olive oil. You know, who cares if you've, you've got excess energy backing up in your bloodstream that's not necessarily a good thing whether it be triglycerides ketones or glucose really yeah like most of the magic happens uh if you're kind of producing your own ketones from your body fat and uh like the goal of most people who are doing who are doing a keto diet their goal isn't necessarily to be in ketosis uh, they want to kind of tap into this keto ad adapted state where the body is able to mm or it's where the body is able to metabolize fatty acids as a fuel source without needing to refeed and mm. without having to uh, uh, kind of bump up your ketones either. So, uh, so, so that, that will help you to kind of fast for longer. That will help you to you know, get less hungry and uh, to maintain a caloric mm. deficit where you will also like lose fat mm. and you will also gain all the other metabolic benefits mm. for longevity as well from eating like slightly less calories. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. It's, it's that point where you drop energy, it, your body goes into repair mode and you're basically telling that the body says, okay, I've got, to, uh, I've got to survive this famine until the next time of plenty when we can reproduce. So the body says, we've got to, got to live a bit longer. We've got to repair all our, we've got to go into autophagy, our sirtuins increase, our NAD increases, the NAD to NADH ratio increases. And it seems to be all these other things other than just the high ketones that seem to be benefiting us as well that occur in a lower energy state that occurs when we achieve satiety. But people have said, oh, we've got high ketones because we can measure them on our device. <laughs> um, 
it must be the ketones and we'll sell you some in a packet as well. And, you know, it, it, I don't think it's the ketones that are doing all the heavy lifting. It's that low energy state where your body goes into repair mode mm. and the autophagy, as you like to talk about, um, that's quite beneficial. And then also you're coming back and then building back up with a nutrient-dense, high-satiety diet that will help you build muscle without too much fat and support your activity and support your brain function and make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like uh, in nature, you will experience ketosis in this sort of uh, energy-deprived state of fasting or like, yeah, like during the winter time mm-hmm. when you won't have like access to much food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. you, mentioned, you mentioned protein. Yeah, the most of this, most, yep. You mentioned protein that uh, the protein is also very satiating and such, and but at the same time, a lot of people say or like it's it, it may be a good idea to increase your protein a little bit when you're dieting and such, uh, but uh, some people also say that you know you can eat you know mm. as much protein as you want, <laughs> but how 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 is there any kind of negative side effects to that in in a sense of going too high protein? Yeah. Well, I, I think. In short, no, because it's hard to eat too much protein. The body does really have a satiety response where uh, it, it just says, I can't eat more protein than that. Can I please stop eating? And you feel really full with that. Um, you know, but, 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 but I suppose that the detriment of a very, like just going, I'm going to just eat protein powders or refined amino acid powders or whatever, you don't get, the nutrient density that you would also get and you know protein isn't the only satiating factor mm-hmm. um also you know a lower energy density and more um fiber tends to have a positive satiety benefit so you, once you've got over a certain amount of protein if you want to ramp up satiety even more focusing on these other things as well with nutrient density and you know you don't have to target fiber per se but a diet that's nutrient dense often has a significant amount of fiber which is good for your gut bacteria and etc 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 not that the carnivore diet is doesn't have its place but um you know that's mm-hmm. yeah yeah like and protein still has calories so to say that although protein uh, burns yeah. the most calories if you eat it uh, eventually it's can still kind of tip you over the top and uh, make you gain weight yeah. if you overeat it because uh, the protein you don't necessarily need will be then kind of stored not as protein but whether that be as uh, glucose mm. or uh, triglycerides eventually like it will be converted into the kind of storage so to say if you don't need it yeah but at the same time you got to keep in mind that the 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 dietary induced thermogenesis the cost of converting that protein to to ATP or to body fat is very, 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 very high. So it'll cost you 25%. So if you eat um, 100 calories of protein, you can yield 75 calories of pro- uh, of energy or of ATP. Whereas if you're eating carbohydrates, it only costs you about carbohydrates or fat, you're only losing about 7 or 3% of the energy converting it to energy. So really the body just says, I'd rather not. And you, you, you lose a lot. So it's, it's, and you just you fill up and your body says mm-hmm. i've had enough yeah. and if you're eating leaner protein like the kangaroo or the chicken breast or the cod or those sorts of lean seafoods it's hard to overeat those foods your body just you get the rabbit starvation which is you know when you you've got a, a very lean human 
and you you eat too much very lean meat, you you starve because your body can't get enough energy. That you just end up burning your own body fat. But if you've got a a lean protein food and a fat human, you can go for a very long time because you've got the protein you need, mm-hmm. and you're gonna burn up the body fat on your body. And most of us living in a current environment have got plenty of opportunity to burn body to 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 add body fat to our body and need to lose that body fat. So mm. yeah, I don't think if it's lean protein, it's it's fairly hard to overeat. Yeah, so. and some so yeah, if someone is eating, uh, let's say uh, a ketogenic diet and they're trying to lose weight, then they should kind of dial down their fat intake uh, mm. a little bit, mm-hmm. so to say, so that so they would create a bigger hole for their caloric deficit and they would tap into their own body yeah. fat. I was just going to say that the first thing I think is to stabilize your blood sugars and drain your excess glucose stores. So if you've got high blood sugars, you need to eat less carbohydrate to the point that your blood sugar stabilizes and comes down. But then you need to... So then you can use your body fat, which ends up being a, a nutrient-dense, moderately moderate to high-protein diet until you use up the fat from your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's true, uh, but you, like you also said that you know it's not necessarily the high protein that is uh, causing the satiety. There's also like this uh, because you can kind of over consume the calories from things like whey protein and protein shakes and such, which don't mm. have like that that as much satiety mm. as like a mm. piece of meat or a steak or something. So there's this some sort of a mouth feel as well yeah. that you get yeah, sure. from satiety that you know you're chewing your food you're kind of feeling that you're actually eating something. So uh, mm. how does this sort of a mouthfeel or something uh, affect satiety? Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose it comes into the energy density and the fiber as well, but um, and the amount of effort it takes to digest. Like if I have, I eat some kangaroo meat, which is quite a lean meat, and it takes forever to chew through this really dense protein. And, um, you know, I, I do eat some protein powder at work because you know so i have an easy quick snack but it's the bland unflavored protein i think a lot of the protein powders tend to be you know really sugared and hyper palatable and anything you add a whole lot of sweetness to it tends to be very easy to you can have a protein bar and your quest bars and you can you can eat a packet of those pretty easily although they're high protein so and low carb yeah, yeah, it's true that uh, if anything is going to make you overeat it further, like with artificial sweeteners or something, then uh, it's it's not going to be healthy for you. <laughs> and also, like in, sure. in my opinion, like it's it's going to be also like somewhat hard to overeat these uh, difficult parts of the animal to eat, like uh, these kind of ribs or these the ones that have like the bone structure mm-hmm. to it. You have to kind of spend time of you know mm-hmm. working with your hands to break down the meat, <laughs> so to say, and kind of dissect totally. Some, totally. Of the, some of the bones and the tendons, then it's going to put more effort into eating it and you're going to get bored again. Like it's the, again, the sensory specific satiety is increased because of that. Like for instance, if you were to be having mm. to break open the, the shells of your nuts and, uh, and these, uh, then that's going to, that's going to basically create higher satiety than if you were to be eating just, just the nuts without the shells or taking the peanut, peanut butter, because it's like, doesn't take you that much effort mm. into kind mm. of opening up the food. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so that, totally. That's, that, 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 that can be like another hack for people who are try, trying to lose weight. The, instead of eating like just 
the steak or something they should maybe eat like things uh that uh, create more of this mouthfeel and uh, as well as uh, this uh, effort into eating it, like mm. having to actually kind of scrape down the bones and uh, having to open or crack o- open the nuts um, mm. in, instead of going for the easy way out of having all the calories mm. <laughs> put into my mouth immediately. I think I'll take two chickens. Uh, but uh, we, we've also kind of touched upon the nutrient intensity quite a lot. So what kind of micronutrients mm. and vitamins or minerals are regulating your hunger the most? Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. Like, um, like we recently did some really interesting analysis. We could get the with the MyFitnessPal data, we could pull out the the sodium content. We found that a very very low sodium diet tends to be hard to overeat. I think because potentially it's so bland. Mm-hmm. But there's sort of a a point where you get more than three or four or five grams of sodium, where at that point the satiety seems to kick in and you eat less. And that really aligns nicely with the pure study the recent data that came out that said there's sort of a u-shaped curve with um with sodium that if you get you know we currently the current recommendations tend to be minimize sodium and try to get less than one or two grams of sodium a day and it just doesn't seem to work because sodium is a really essential nutrient so it seems once you get more than three or four grams of sodium your appetite is satisfied so i think don't avoid sodium but there's other nutrients i think like potassium and magnesium and that are, that are more and more important that we may not have as much of a palate for because they're always easy to get in our diet i think in the past it seems that sodium was harder to get if we didn't live near the ocean mm. but and, and potassium and magnesium just came because we're just hunting and gathering all the time and a lot of green stuff we picked up um, so we didn't have the sensitive appetite regulation for those nutrients but um, I think they're probably more important today because they're very very depleted in our soil Um, our grains uh, our our soils that grow um, the agriculture the grains that feed our cattle and and go into all our processed foods are very very depleted these days after being hoed and, and, and harvested in the same soil year after year after year with lots of fertilizers and and just a few added nutrients mm. yeah it is quite interesting yeah that you know even uh, in nature for instance uh, these animals also kind of detect the presence of sodium whether by i don't know licking some rocks or drinking some mm. water from a puddle or something mm. and they, they get some some of the minerals from that and they do kind of whenever they have the opportunity then they will kind of gravitate towards that and uh, yeah like e- even in even in people or e- even in like energy production well, f- throughout the day, then you know sodium plays quite a critical role in that in, in the process mm. of producing ATP and such. So, yeah, mm. like, sodium is something uh, quite important. But uh, again, like it's it's like a matter of context, so to say. Like if you combine them together with a bunch of processed foods, then it's kind mm. of create this hyper palatable response of I can't get yeah. enough of it, and I'm going to continue Fairly. eating. Yeah, the, the the food scientists know that we crave sodium and energy density. So like you said in your book, we crave um, sugar, fat and salts. Not mm. that salt is a bad thing, but uh, you know, we, we crave it in a big way. But um, the, 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 the more I look into the sodium-potassium ratio, it seems to be better to get a... You know, twice as much potassium to sodium if you're if you're not active and, and maybe one to one if you're more active okay. so most people that i see tend to need to pursue potassium because that mm-hmm. tends to be harder to get 
from the diet, especially current diets, the potassium and magnesium, omega threes, those are sort of the nutrients that people tend to need to prioritize in their diet. Mm. Yeah, like sodium. Yeah, like if you're exercising and sweating a lot, you're losing the sodium, so to say. Then you need to compensate for that. But if you don't have that high kind of energy demands and such, then you don't necessarily want to be adding a bunch of sodium either because of like mm. potential issues with the electrolyte balances. And yeah, potassium is something that most people are quite deficient of because of mm. not eating enough vegetables or not having like quality ingredients. Yeah, if you look at the the pure study, they they looked they found there's this bit of a U-shaped curve with sodium around I think it was three to seven grams of sodium you need to optimize um, longevity. But with potassium, there was basically no upper limit. As much mm. as people were eating, it was beneficial to eat more and more potassium. Um, and recently, been digging around. I ordered an aura ring and digging around the aura forums and did a survey and. Uh, and said what helps people to sleep and magnesium supplementation was a massive right. factor in people sleeping. And I think a lot of people are magnesium deficient, especially with a current food supply, whether it be from agriculture or, or the animals that tend to feed on the agriculture that we give them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. But what about the other ones uh, that you mentioned, like omega-3s and uh, some other vitamins? How, how are they? Do, do your body has any kind of, detector so to say for those nutrients as well yeah yeah i i would just love to see like there's the there's the protein leverage hypothesis that basically says if you get enough um protein your body switches off your appetite but you can tend to crave more and more energy until you get the protein you need and i think there is like we, we can we have quantified it with sodium um but there's just not enough data out there. I'd love to see the data. I've been harassing Chronometer to try and um, give me all the data, but you know, it's you know, it may happen, but it, it's hard to dig it all out and analyze it. But um, yeah, there should be more analysis to find that that bliss point for positive satiation with different nutrients, and I think that that will be seen. Um, and I think you can you can you'll be able to find those curves if you if you look in the data hard enough. Mm -hmm. um, but what we do see when we let people play with the nutrient optimizer, when they optimize their diet, they maximize the nutrient density. They're just going, you know, I don't need as many calories as I used to when I when I maximize nutrient density. And um, Joel Furman, who's also done a bunch of nutrient density studies in his own, you know, vegan vegetarian type nutrient density approach tends to find the same thing that people experience a different type of hunger and reduced hunger mm -hmm. when they prioritize nutrient dense foods mm -hmm. yeah like i i would also imagine that it's not just the protein so to say it is also like the nutrient density so and you need some of mm -hmm. the nutrients because you can eat like a lot of protein but in that case you wouldn't necessarily feel satiated or so to say because you you lack some of the other nutrients that you mm. need. Um, yeah, yeah, and when you, when you look at the satiety score, that we, we did a plot in that post that's up at the moment of satiety versus nutrient density. It's not just the plain potato that's the most satiating. It's the, you know, it's the watercress, it's the broccoli, it's the spinach. Mm. It's those really, really nutrient-dense foods that are also high-fiber, low-energy density, got plenty of protein and are very, very satiating at the same time. And when it comes to seafood, it's the lobster and the, right. um, you know, the, those sea 
urchin type things that tend to be unfortunately quite expensive and that's probably a another issue i'm quite passionate about it's it's you know we we've we've made good nutrition expensive in our in our in our food system and we're all advertised to to eat the the junk that's down the bottom left corner that has a very low satiety and a very low nutrient density that makes us overeat um high profit margins and shelf stable yeah it's also like uh, easier to kind of keep keep buying those same products because you don't feel satiated you end up eating more Mm -hmm. more, and you end up buying Mm -hmm. more as well yeah, I was chatting to Dave Feldman the other day and he was saying when he was trying his high-carb high type diet, his junk food diet, when he was eating a certain amount of Subway subs a day, it was he just found that there's this blur feeling about appetite and he just went, oh, I just need more food, I need more food. But when he went to a more you know, ketogenic type diet, he went, okay, I need, I need salmon today. I feel really hungry for salmon. And then you eat enough salmon and you're satiated and then it goes, oh, I'm hungry for the steak or I'm hungry for this or that and you, you have a much better a much clearer um, you know appetite signals for the food right. you need um, whereas if you're in that hyperphagic let's prepare for winter autumn it's autumn and there's these fat and carbs around together your body just says I need, need to eat more need to eat more need to build fat need to get fat I need to store fat for winter um but if we can get out of that we seem to have much better much better cravings i just got a book uh, i haven't got it with me but um uh, nutrition by by fred provenza who looks at it. i don't know if you read the um the dorito effect have you read that book no, no. really fascinating book um and and fred provenza is a, is a is featured in that and he just analyzes and looks at the the way animals know exactly what foods they need at certain times to that they can eat a certain amount of this this high tannin food that has a beneficial hormetic effect but if they eat too much they get an upset stomach so they they know how much of that they can eat and then they have to go over and eat this other bush brush plant that looks really you know looks really not yummy but uh, you know that they, they, they animals know exactly what they need to eat in the wild and humans i think if we were in the wild we'd know exactly what we needed to eat at certain times of the year to optimize but we've just got this you know junk food that hijacks our satiety signals yeah yes yeah, it's, it's it's so true that uh uh, the, 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 the combi- the, there's a lot of things that hijack our kind of cognitive powers and uh, our mental decision making as well. So that's mm. that's quite quite interesting. And in, mm. and, and like uh, in nature, you also like wouldn't have a bunch of different things to choose from all the time, and you wouldn't be overstimulated by all the different flavors and such. In nature, all the food is quite bland, so to say. It's um, mm. somewhat uh, limited in the sensory. Mm satiety effect or the sensory stimulation you you you're because, because of the uh, because yeah. of the fact that you uh, experience one 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 single taste um, for more for longer and more frequently then that is also going to down regulate your kind of desire to eat so and you you end up eating less mm. and that and that's and that's also one of the reasons why i think yeah I, but it's really nice when, oh it's just saying with our kids uh, we see when we get good quality 
nutrient dense fresh produce they love it they and they go you know junk food's got nothing on this amazingly yummy satiating uh you know nutrient dense food that they've lived with us for a while and you know and go yeah okay i understand why this food is good and uh you know that that pizza that junk food i don't have that appetite anymore that's what i hope with the nutrient optimizer is that people learn to optimize their nutrition and sort of a training wheels to say okay now you need more omega-3 now you need more potassium now you need more sodium now you need more leucine let's prioritize that um and you can sort of balance your diet which tends to push out the crap foods that those hyper palatable foods that you that confuse your appetite that hijack your appetite and then you'll be able to sense exactly what you need at that point in time and you can like take off the training wheels and and see the satiating food uh, the, the the nutrient dense satiating foods that you really need Mm-hmm. Uh, another one of your blog posts talked about like the carnivore diet and uh, you, you can analyze it. Uh, I haven't looked into it that in depth, but mm. uh, can you give like overview of uh, like what kind of uh, nutrient as well as satiety effect does the carnivore diet have? Yeah, as I mentioned before, I think there's, the carnivore diet's definitely got a lot of beneficial things going for it um, just because it eradicates all the hyper palatable nutrient poor vegetable oils and high pro- highly processed grain products it just smashes out all those people foods that people tend to overeat and tend to find um inflammatory in an autoimmune sense so many people these days seem to have autoimmune issues and it's basically the ultimate uh the ultimate elimination diet that you take out all the foods that people have problems with from a satiety and nutrient density and um, gut permeability sense. But at the same time, I listened to an interview with um, Paleo Medicina and Sean Baker the other day and, and the Paleo Medicina guys were saying how important it was to still eat organ meats to get the magnesium and calcium and potassium that weren't available in only muscle meats. And I think, I think once you've got that benefit from a meat only diet, then maybe you can start adding back the nutrient dense foods. Maybe that's egg yolks. Maybe that's the shellfish. Maybe that's the, mm. the liver and offal. And maybe if you don't like that, you could try some, you know, non-starchy green veggies. And I don't think the broccoli is what's killing everybody. Maybe some people have an adverse reaction to the oxalates in broccoli, but I think overall perhaps the sulfurophane and the like is a positive hormetic stress. Maybe some people have an issue with that and that's a real thing and they need to avoid that in the long term. But um, Mm -hmm. I don't think the carnivore diet, it's sort of avoiding the triggers um, and managing symptoms rather than building uh, a robust immune system and a robust uh, gut flora that will thrive in any situation. And you don't want to be going out to eat junk food and be able to eat any Mm. old crap, but (laughs) I think you want to be able to tolerate Mm. nutrient-dense whole foods that are found in nature at any time. Like if we went back 300 years, what would you have to eat? Um, It wouldn't be only meat. 
yeah yeah like ideally ideally you would want to be able to digest the the, the vegetables without an issue so to say <laughs> because mm. uh, it's it's not going to be kind of good for your immune system in the long term so to say if you if you become mm. intolerant of digesting some fiber it's, it's 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 simply a sign that you know something is not working properly and uh, it should be kind of gonna be the focus of concern of maybe yeah like going for a short, some sort of an elimination period but you know ideally you want to still gravitate towards back uh, adding the vegetables and such and mm. eating like some uh, healthier whole food carbs as well every once in a while yeah and people who have really had issues with the gut tend to stick to a carnivore diet and do well but some people don't seem to thrive in the long term and they want to come mm. back to more nutrient dense foods and i'd like that yeah the nutrient optimizer is set up to be able to say hey these are the foods from the animal kingdom or the plant kingdom that may benefit your current situation so mm. yeah yeah because it may not be the vegetables themselves that is causing the issues like it may be the stress it may be the sleep deprivation it may be some sort of a bacterial overgrowth or it may be like yeah. i don't know drinking too much coffee exercising too much whatever it is like everything can cause damage to the gut and cause some yeah. issues so to say so yeah. it's not you don't have to be necessarily kind of judging the broccoli <laughs> for getting mm. some issues yeah yeah and the the the, the amount of you know, i think broccoli is a, represents about 0.6 of the american calorie intake right. and yeah. Most people aren't even eating it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, veggies are about 6% of the overall calorie intake, while, you know, processed starch, sugar, and vegetable oil is like 60% of the US calorie intake. So, you know, <laughs> look at the elephant in the room first. Yeah. And that's where I think the benefits are coming from because you're eradicating the vegetable oils and the, uh, the, the refined grains that are really triggering a lot of those immune, system, immune issues and providing very few nutrients. And meat can actually provide a lot of bioavailable nutrients in a, in a really good form and more bioavailable than the plant forms a lot of the time. But at the same time, that there are nutrients that are easier to get from plant-based foods, although sometimes they're not more bioavailable. And, you know, there's an argument backwards and forwards, but, um, yeah. You don't you don't necessarily become deficient of uh, most of the essential uh, vitamins and minerals if you're eating only like uh, meat, so to say. Yeah, uh, not necessarily, and especially if you focus on the more nutrient dense foods. In that, I think muscle meat alone may not be optimal for the long term, but I think you can formulate a fairly nutrient dense diet. Yeah, organ um, meats are like really. Or organ meats are really like one of the most nutrient dense kind of foods in the in the world and mm. uh, really kind of satiating as well like you don't really sure. you don't really want to eat too much liver <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but um, but at the same time you don't get you get a lot of vitamin a and you get a lot of zinc in the organ meats but you don't get a lot of potassium and calcium mm. potentially from the organ meats so yeah you have to look at what you're actually getting in your current diet right. you can log that in chronometer and have a bit of a play okay so yeah like uh a lot of information that uh, people can kind of refer back to and still kind of mm. optimize further their diets and nutrition. Uh, before I ask you my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, yeah, uh, optimizingnutrition.com is the blog. Uh, and then we've got Nutrient Optimizer, which is the the tool that we're developing. Um, at the moment, there's a free report you can jump on and look at the optimal foods and optimal meals for your current situation and um 
in a couple of days, I'm excited to say we're about to launch the full-blown Nutrient Optimizer platform, which is basically a program that takes you from where you are and, and takes you through a program to optimize your diet, to dial in your macronutrients and your micronutrients and help you continue on your journey. Um, yeah, and then there's an Optimizing Nutrition Facebook group, and there's a Nutrient Optimizer Facebook group as well. So yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, I've been I've been using uh, the Nutrient Optimizer, and it is like really cool. And, and you yeah, can like yeah. Im- import your chronometer data as well. I'm right. Yeah, right. that's it. Yeah, yeah, as I said, you can then optimize. It'll then say, oh, these are the foods you need to balance your micronutrient profile and yeah. it'll just continue to optimize. And it's really exciting to see there's like nearly 100 people on the leaderboard that can that are f- trying to get up the leaderboard and improve their score. And yeah, yeah, it'll be good to see more and more competition, healthy competition to optimize your diet. Yeah, yeah. some people starting to eat more liver then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've got a we've got a a few competitions coming out, challenges coming out in January, where we're looking at um, trying to encourage people and help people to optimize their blood sugars and their weight at the same time. So we'll have a a prize for the people who drop their blood sugars the most and people who lose the most weight, and then sort of another prize for people who are able to. Um, drop their blood sugars and lose weight at the same time which i think is the most exciting thing for long-term diabetes reversal and then in the future we'll have muscle gain and and fat loss and different uh nutrient density score improvement and the like so yeah lots of exciting things to come in 2019 yeah 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 likewise uh but yeah really enjoyed talking with you again and we're gonna have to do it sometimes in the future <laughs> again like uh, after a few months <laughs> so uh like uh, yeah cool yeah, like my my last question is: uh, What's this one piece of advice you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? Oh yeah, um, I'm loving this nutritional journey and, and and sharing it and learning from people like yourself and and online. But I suppose the last year is just you know making friends with people like um, Lewis and Ted online and and being inspired to start lifting weights which is something that i only started doing about 18 months ago and that's really mm. changed my life and I'm, I'm loving it so i know that's something you've been getting into and um yeah it really changes your body in a, in a radical way mm. yeah it is uh, you know it doesn't matter like what you eat if you're still kind of not putting in the other lifestyle habits like exercise and proper sleep and such mm. 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 definitely definitely yeah well yeah well thanks for coming Thanks for coming for the podcast, again, Marty, and uh, yeah, we'll probably see you in the future again. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. I like that your book is not just going keto, keto, keto. It's very a much broader thinking right. than just you know ketones and magic, which is where a lot of people are stuck at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it's context, context specific, yeah. and it's like difficult. It's a to really, put. really good book. Right. Well, yeah. that's- Glad to hear that. That's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Power podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on the iTunes or the other social media platforms. Definitely check out the show notes for the topics that we discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.